Well, good morning, Dorisville. Good worship today. Amen. And we are so glad that you are here with us today to share in that worship as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father and through the Holy Spirit. And we are, believe it or not, January is gone. Uh, tomorrow's the 31st. And we've been five weeks together looking at a series that we simply entitled, If, If. And it has been an incredible journey in the sense that we have, at least I have, been amazed how God took something. And the original premise was that we'll take five verses dealing with five topics and simply tie together by the word if in the verse somewhere. And God said, I've got something bigger. I've got something better. I, I want you to join, I want you to share with the people this month about the dangers of practical atheism. And we began our journey in James chapter 4 and verse 13, where, where James wrote and said how people will say that, that we're going to pick up and go somewhere, and we're going to go to a certain town and stay there about a year or so, and we're going to make a profit there. And we all said how the world applauds that, people with a plan, people got a plan to do what they're going to do, and how the bad part of that was is that God was absent. That, that God was not in that premise at all. And I talked about how we as believers in Jesus Christ, and that's normal for the world, but we as believers may have segments in our life where we block God off. And there are certain things we build walls around, and it could be our marriage, it could be our parenting, it could be our finances, our time, our careers, any number of things that we wall God off. And then according to Psalm 14.1, when we do that, we are practical atheists because we say, no God. We, we profess him with our mouths, but we don't include him in the areas. We pretend as if he does not exist in those areas. And so then the next week, we visited Second Chronicles 7, 14. And we talked about if, and there's that word, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then they will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven and I will heal the land and forgive their sins. And how that that was the way home. That was the way of surrender. Laying those areas down saying, God, God, I need you. If my people call by name, will humble themselves. That's dependence. I need you. We'll pray honestly before God. We'll seek his deal over our deal. And then he will heal our land. Turn from our weak ways. He will heal, heal our land. Heal our lives. Heal our marriages. And heal our homes. And then last week, we, we visited in Malachi chapter 3 what some of you thought was a giving message, and it wasn't at all. Because Malachi chapter 3 is all about God saying, See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you cannot contain it. All based on the premise, trust me. Trust me. And one of the hardest areas we trust God is this an area called finances. And we find ourselves today kicking off in John chapter 14 and verse number 15. If you want to go and take your Bibles and turn there, we'll be visiting three scriptures. The three points today are Jesus, Moses, and David. Jesus, Moses, and David. And we begin with Jesus. And this is like, again, thinking about our lawyers in our church today. You can identify with this. This is the closing argument. This is God's way of saying, this is the final thing. This is how we're going to tie it all together. And this is how we're going to win the case. What do we do with all this information that we've heard about this month? And we begin with Jesus speaking. Here's what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep 
my commandments. I don't do this too often, but I want to share the importance almost of each one of those individual words before we just move on past it. Of course, that word if. Now, if is that that conjunction, that, that thing that says, if this is going to be true, then that can be true. If something is this, if this happens, then this will happen. And so, there, there it is, right there. A conjunction used to indicate the circumstances that would have to exist in order for an event to happen. And Jesus says, if you say this, then this is the result of that, or this will be evidenced by that. If you. Who's the you? The you are each one of you and me who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. As you look back in your past, there was a definite time when you didn't pray a fire escape prayer... And you didn't do a religious deal. There was a time when you made a conscious decision, a conscious commitment to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. At that moment, you surrendered your will to his will, your deal over his deal, and said, simply said this, God, I surrender to you. Forgive my sins. I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord. That's the you. It's not just a church member, because there are church members who have never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. It's not good people, because there's a whole lot of good people who have not made that commitment to Jesus Christ. Each, each one of us who have done what the Word of God says about coming into relationship with God the Father. And that's simply faith in what Jesus Christ did, and a commitment to follow after Him for the rest of our lives. If you love. Now, most of you know this already, but for those who don't, let me go ahead and share it. You know, there are three Greek words. You know, kind of in, you know, in, in, the, in the English language, we kind of do the love word. You know, I can love pizza and love my wife. Same word in the, you know, in the English language. I can love my car and love my kids. The Greek is different. There are three basic Greek words for love. One is eros, and that's a sexual kind of love that is enjoyed between a man and a woman. Then there's phileo. And that's a love that we have between friends. A Philadelphia is named after that, the city of brotherly love. It's a love that we have one for another. And then there's agape. And agape is that sacrificial, dying love. It's the kind of love that says, I love you so much, I'm willing to die for you. For God so agape, so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes him should not perish. But have everlasting life. You know in the 70's. I'm not sure if they still do it. But in the 70's we had our own form of the Greek. Okay. Uh, if you were in the 70's or late 60's. That era in there. And maybe still today. I just don't know. But back in those days. You know, we, we would sign the yearbooks. Y'all remember that? You signed the yearbooks. And there were three ways that a girl would sign your yearbook. Okay? The first way is luff. That's spelled L. You want to write this down. This is important. L-U-F-F. And that was her saying, okay, I'm signing your yearbook. I feel like I need to say something, so I'm going to luff you. There's no relationship. I don't even think you're cute. But since I signed your book, sincerely doesn't seem appropriate, so we'll luff you. L-U-F-F. Then if you had a girl who was kind of your friend, you know, was more than just, I know you from algebra class kind of thing, you know, then you got love. L-U-V. Y'all seen L-U-V? That's a step in the right direction. If she was really cute, there might have been hope. L-U-V. But then, 
Sometimes, if you either were dating a girl or something, and sometimes that word was used a little more casually than that, we had love, L-O-V-E, and whoo, shoot that thing. We men like to go through our annual and say, yeah, she loved me, and she loved me. The loves, we don't even remember their names. The loves, we may remember names, but when they said love, we remember those names. So we had the same thing. And Jesus is saying here, I don't want you to love me, L-U-F-F. Come on now. I don't want you to love me, L-U-V. I want you to love me. If you love me, if we have a relationship, if I'm important to you, if you love me, me. Now, if you've got a really cool Bible, in, in the text there, you might see a capital M. Some Bibles don't capitalize the personal pronouns when it refers to Jesus. They ought to. But you see that capital M there? This is not just any me. This is the me. Come on now. Jesus said, now I am the me. Now y'all, y'all are me's, but I'm the me. Capital M. I, I, I'm the me that one day, on my own volition, strapped on a human body. I'm the me who spent, if there are days in heaven, I spent time in heaven either just having people worship me. I, I spent all my days in heaven with the angels singing my praises. And this me strapped on a human body. God became flesh. Now you understand the ramifications of that. The best I understand Scripture Before Jesus was incarnate, he was spirit. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Before he strapped on a human body, he had the freedom of being spirit. But we know after his resurrected, he still had a human body. So Jesus went for the freedom of being spirit to heaven. Yes, a glorified body, but he has a body now in heaven forever reminding him that God became man. And listen, forever reminding us. That God became man. Some of you have scars. And you don't even want to look at the scar because you remember the pain. I remember when this happened, how bad it hurt. Jesus has scars on his hands. Scars on his feet. We know this because the glorified body had these scars. Scars on his back. But it doesn't tell him how much it hurt. It reminds us. How much he loved. That's the me. That's the capital M. E. He grew to be a man. Chose to live a sinless life. Knew all the temptations. But unlike us, never sinned. That's the capital me. And one day, he willingly laid down his life on a cross. Allowed himself to be hung naked before the world with three nails. Two in his hands and one in his feet. And they couldn't kill him. So he laid down his life. He said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take it up again. That's the me with a capital M. And they put the capital M with E, with, with M, capital M and E in the grave. The borrowed tomb. And on the third day, the capital M proved forever. That he was not just a good man. He was not just a teacher. 
He was not just a miracle worker. He was not just a fire escape to avoid hell. The, the capital M proved forever that he is the living son of God. Come on, yeah. Muhammad can't claim it. Buddha can't claim it. No other religious founder claims to be God and proved it by resurrecting. That's the capital M. He ascended back to the Father. And the capital M didn't stop there. Because right now he's interceding on our behalf. There's one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. The capital M. And then, one day, the capital M's coming back. King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the person who says, if you love me. This is bigger than you think it is. This is bigger than you think it is. If you love me. And see, the problem is we wrestle with that. We wrestle with seeing Jesus with a capital M. And we kind of wanted to say, if you love me, Jesus, way with the lamb. Because see, the truth is, most of us love me, the lamb. And if that's the case, the verse reads something like this. If you love me, little lamb, I, you, won't keep my commandments. And that's the problem. We don't recognize this man named Jesus. This one we commit our lives to. He is king. He's Lord. He's master. And so he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those words, you will. Some, some of the manuscripts, early manuscripts have you will. And some of the manuscripts do not. But, but it doesn't cause confusion because it just magnifies. If you put the you will in there, it simply says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, it will be evidenced. Once again, a lawyer term. But sir, a uh, uh, counselor, where's your evidence? Jesus says, where's the evidence that you love me? It's not going to church. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says, yes, go in the wives. Well, Joe, excuse me, Joe. Well, Joe, if you love me, don't tell me, show me. Yeah, you women like to hear, I love you. But if we were to take a poll this morning, women like to be shown their love. You may get yourself a wife, you single guys out there, you may get yourself a wife by saying words, making promises. But I can tell you how to get yourself a good wife. God factor, all that included. But don't just tell her you love her. Show her you love her. I'm going to tell you how to have a good marriage. Don't just, just tell her you love her. Show you. Show her you love her. Come on now. The chicken's going to wait. It's okay. Jesus says, if you love me, evidence it by keeping my commandments. Now, if you're one of the ones that want to take that you will out, it's okay. It works. Jesus then said, the capital M says, if you love me, keep my commandments. What does it become? A command. It becomes a command. Now, you 
who believe in the capital M, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, what do you do when the Master speaks? What do you do when the King of Kings commands? What do you do when He orders something? Can we call a committee on that? Can I have till next Tuesday to make up my mind? No, see, kings are, are made to obey. Lords are made to follow. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, keep. We had this word on Wednesday night study. Just last week or week before last. It means to guard. It means to watch. It, it means the idea of being a soldier on guard. Watching out. If you love me, you will guard. If you love me, you'll watch out for my commandments. If you love me, you will pay close attention to my commandments. Well, which commandments, Lord? I, I don't see a limiter. He did not say, if you love me, you will keep a few of my commandments. Anyone see that? Did he say, if you love me, you can keep the easy commandments? Have you figured out in your Christian walk yet, there's some that are easy and there's some that's hard? He, he didn't say, keep 50%. He didn't say, keep 80%. He said, if you love me, if you want to evidence that love, if you want to follow my command, love me, then you keep my commandments. And you see how this ties together? It's the wall thing. It's the Praclatheus thing. Jesus is saying, if you love me, tear the walls down. If you love me, knock the walls down. Surrender every area of your life to my authority and call me Lord. Makes life a lot easier. We go through life trying to figure out what we're going to do. How far can we, how close can we walk the line? What consequences are we willing to pay for disobedience? If we do this, it removes all of that. And that leads us down to Moses. Oh, Moses. Let me give you a brief Moses story. Moses was born in Egypt. His mama, the, the command was to kill the boy babies put into a, a basket on the Nile River, found by the, by the princess of Egypt, raised in Pharaoh's house. For 40 years, Moses was a prince of Egypt. Keep that in mind. The best schooling. The best leadership courses. The best confidence building that you could have. 40 years. One day, Don's on him, wait a minute, I'm a Hebrew. He decides to identify with the Hebrew people. He takes matters on hand. He kills an Egyptian and basically gets run out of Egypt on a rail. Cast out into the desert. And Moses spends the next 40 years tending sheep. Not the most glamorous job. But you know what's good about being a shepherd? Life was easy. Life was easy. If the sun was up, you were watching sheep. If the sun was down, you slept with the sheep. Sun was up, you watched the sheep. Sun goes down, you sleep with the sheep. Life was easy. He was in his comfort zone. When we build walls... For some of us, it seems like a comfort zone. Life is easy, we think. And then one day, at the end of that second 40 years, 
Moses sees something called a burning bush. Not unusual, except for this burning bush did not burn up. So he turns aside and says, I must go see what this is all about. He goes over there, and his life got a whole lot more complex. Because God was calling him from simple to faith. God was calling him to a mission. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him and say, let my people go. And boy, Moses went into full-blown overload. See, God had a mission, and Moses had excuses. Does that ring a bell with anybody? God, God speaks and says, I want you to do this, and you give God 27 reasons why you can't do that. God says, tithe, and you give him 15 reasons why you won't or can't. God says, go, and you give 15 reasons why you can't or won't. God says, do this, and you give him 15 reasons why you can't or won't. Hello. Don't forget, I'm one of you. I know us. God had a mission. Moses made excuses. We don't have time to go into all of it, but look at Exodus chapter chapter 4 and verse number 10. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent. I've got to stop here. Ladies, I'm going to give you the answer. Back 4,000 years ago, about 5,000 years ago, here's what Moses literally said from the Hebrew. I am not a man of words. He started it, and we've been doing it ever since. Why don't you talk to me? I am not a man of words. Guys, am I right? We're not a man of words. He said, I am not eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and heavy or hesitant in speech. Here's the irony of this. Those of you who like Bible trivia. In the Hebrew, this is 21 Hebrew words. And the construction is very complex and complicated. You know, Matt, we think about legalese. When we contract, it's hard to read and follow. So Moses says, in a very complicated way, God, you don't understand. I can't talk. And to prove it, I'm going to give you a very eloquent speech about why I can't talk. How crazy is that? God, don't you understand? I, I'm not eloquent. I, I haven't in the past speak, spoke well. I, I Recently, I can't speak well. As we're talking, I can't speak well. I am slow and hesitant. I can't do this. And here's what God says. The Lord said to him, who made the human mouth? Hey, hey, Moses, who made the thing flapping around in between your lips? Who, who makes him who can't speak or those who are deaf or seen or blind? Who, who, who does that? Capital M. The Lord, he said, does. Moses, I am asking you to speak, and you're saying you can't, but who made your mouth? 
Do you understand that when God calls you to trust Him, He will equip you? I mean, let me ask you a question. We won't do a poll. Is Philippians 4.13 true or not? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. True or false? It's true. The application's hard, isn't it? Because that means every walled-off area that we have, and we say, God, I can't. You say, wait a minute, time out. You tell me you believe Philippians 4.13, and then you don't, you can't. Is Philippians 4.19 true? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Is it true? Time out, he says. Then why won't you trust me? Why won't you tear the walls down? You say your marriage is in trouble? Why won't you trust me then? If it's a need... You say you have a need about finances. Why don't you trust me? You say you're concerned about your parenting. Why don't you trust me? You're concerned about your career. Why don't you trust me? If Philippians 4.19 is true. Is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 true? Where Paul said when God was having this conversation about storing his flesh. And God said, my grace is sufficient. True or false? Y'all are getting quieter. I think you're seeing something, aren't you? See how easy it is to say, oh, yes, I believe Philippians 4.13. I just don't want to do it. I believe Philippians 4.19. I just don't want to do it. I believe that God's grace is sufficient for my salvation. But everything else, well, that's, that's up for grabs. Hmm. Who, who made the mouth? Was it not I? Well, how do you do that? How, how, do you, how do you start trusting? Look at the answer. Look at verse number 12. Now go. Now go. I, I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. Go. Moses, here, what won't you do? All right. See, see your left foot? Yes, that's what I see my left foot. Put it out. Okay. Good. Great, great. Now, now see your right foot? It's behind your left foot? Yes. Okay, I want, you, I want you to take a step. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. Now, now do that again. Great, good. Now, yeah, see, you're walking now. Now go. Tell you what, Moses. You do what you can do, and let me do what only I can do. Go ahead, Moses. You do what you can do, and then let me do what only I can do. God says to Moses, go, be obedient, take a step of faith, believe me, you you do that, and I'll do what you can't do, I'll teach you how to speak, I'll give you the words to say, but as long as we are back here, frozen, it never happens, and the crazy part, i got to be honest with you, Moses still didn't get it. He he went on to argue with God some more. And you know what? Some of us still won't get it today. We will still argue with God some more. I love what Patrick Overton wrote many years ago. When he wrote and said this. 
trusting God or faith is going as far as we can see and stepping into the darkness, believing that God will either give me something to step on or he will teach me how to fly. Tear the walls down. Take the first step. Believe him and show that belief with your actions. And that leads us to David. I told, and I'm going to share something with you because this was an easy sermon to preach. Not practice, easy to present the truth. And this last scripture is welded in my heart. Do I always get it? No, sometimes I don't because I'm very human as you all know. But it's powerful. Here's what God's word is to you today. I shared with a brother yesterday. He needed to hear the word of God. He didn't need counsel. He didn't need advice. He needed the word of God. And this is God's word to you today. Where you are. Whether you are battling walls everywhere. If your life is just one big mass of stone circles where God is excluded. Or maybe you're down and you're over here with one circle where God is excluded. And maybe the walls are half down. But there's still some blocks standing. David says this. The steps. The path, the direction, the life of a good man. A man who trusts God. A man who's made a commitment to Jesus Christ to bring it up into New Testament language. The man who has trusted God. His steps are ordered by the Lord. Would you say ordered by the Lord? Lord. Directed by the Lord. Now once again... Some steps. Some steps. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, this is really profound. Get ready to write. Get your pen ready. Did you know God doesn't take vacations? Notice he didn't say, well, I, I really, I need a month off a year. So during the month of November, I'm going to be off the job. And so 11 months of the year, though, I want you to know the steps of a good man are ordered by me. Did he say, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have these physical needs. I have to sleep some. I don't eat much. So how about six hours a day? How about, how about 18 hours a day? I'm going to be on the job. But, but these six now, you're on your own. You know, I, I, I sometimes question my own power. Maybe, maybe I can straight the steps when they're easy to follow only. Maybe the small miracles. Like, oh Lord, I need a parking place. I can handle that. Is any of that true? Is any of that true? No, it's not true. He's not. He don't take a month off. Come on now, Baptist. You've got a God. You've got a capital M who never takes a vacation. You've got a capital M who does not need sleep ever. You've got a capital M who is unlimited in his power. Listen, he doesn't have power shortfalls. He doesn't have a blackout. That's your capital M. That's your God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And watch this. I love this. He delights in his way. Now notice, look on the screen. New King James does it right. What's that he? Is it a little H or big H? Big H. God delights in his way. God delights in your way. Say it with me. God delights in your way. He does. Now, now, time out. 
Because God delights in my way, does that mean everything's easy? God doesn't call us to easy. He calls us to trust Him. But you write down, number one, God directs my steps and they are for my good. He knows best. He knows best. Number two, God directs my past to bring glory to His name. When God does a miracle, it's not for the person. It's to bring glory to His name. When God does great things, it's to bring glory to His name. We exist to bring glory to His name. This church exists to bring glory to the name of God. That's our job description. To bring glory to the name of God. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in His way. Now, I love this. You Baptists all jump all over this. And if he fall. Any fallers here? Oh, y'all are so perfect. Come on, get those hands up. I dare you to raise your hand. There you go. You may fall, don't we? I mean, I've not discovered the, the concept of human perfection on this earth yet. If he falls. It's hard to admit, isn't it? Wouldn't it hard to raise your hand and say... Yeah, I, I fail sometimes. If I asked you, how many of y'all got walls in your life? About 50 of y'all raise your hand. Rest of your hand. I, I, can't, I can't admit that. can't admit I got walls. If he falls, he, little age, will not be utterly cast down. Failure is not final. For the Lord upholds him. And one translation says this way. The Lord upholds him with his strong hand. God says, when you fall flat on your face, he reaches down, picks you up. When you fail him, he picks you up. When you're afraid, he picks you up. When you got walls, he'll knock them down and pick you up. When you fail as a parent, come on, he'll pick you up. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? I'm telling you, it is the Word of God and it is true. And when this happens, when we buy into this, when we say, yes, God, and we get the sledgehammers or turn the walls down, I'm telling you, finances get better. Marriages get healed. Children grow up, Matt, to honor God. Careers, instead of becoming slave wagons, become what they should be. And that is a way to provide for your family. When we do that. What are we going to do with it now? Here we are. Five weeks we spent this topic. Five weeks. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I'm asking you to examine your heart. Matt did something so cool when he preached on Joshua 24. Where Joshua says, choose ye this day. And he said, I'm calling you out. Every man here, you're going to decide one way or the other. I'm calling you out. Well, I ain't big enough to call anybody out. He's got the muscle. But he was speaking spiritually. What area, what area or areas do you need to agree with God and say, okay, God, this is an area of my life. I won't tell Dwayne, I won't raise man in this crowd, but you and I both know this is an area of my life. And God, today, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what I can. 
I'm going to take the first step. And I, I may not understand what that means yet, God, but it means I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take a step. And God, I'm going to trust you to do only what you can do. I'll, I'll do what I can do, God, but I'm trusting you to do what I cannot do. I'm trusting you, God. What areas? What, what areas do you partially trust him? What do you mean, Dwayne? What areas are there that you've trusted him so far, but if he were to call you to go further, would you go? We've been talking a whole lot about missions. Would you, Dwayne, uh, I'll, I'll trust him with Chicago. But that West Africa thing, I don't know. How far? How far? God, I'll trust you with the tithe. But God, how much further with the offerings or contributions? God, God, I'll trust you with part of my marriage. But all of it, God. God, God, I'll, I'll give you two of my kids. That third one, he may be beyond your help. What, what areas? What areas? What partial areas are you willing to trust him with today? And you know what's cool? I realized something. You can have Billy Graham up here talking. And he might get you to the altar. That wouldn't change anything. Only the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm banking on this whole series. I'm not banking on me. Matter of fact, Frank, last time, I'm still trying to figure out why y'all want me as pastor. I can't, get, I can't cause life, in your, life change for you. It's you, God, and the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. I will say this. I speak it from failure. I speak it from success. The times when I said yes, Lord, and I took those steps, I will testify before you. I've seen time and time again what I think I could not do. He calls to happen. Because he said, Dwayne, you can't, but I can. Philippians 4.13 is true. Philippians 4.19 is true. Second Chronicles, or Corinthians chapter 12 is true. But you've got to do this. You've got to do this. What, what if I don't, Dwayne? Boy, aren't you glad we believe in eternal security? I mean, if we did, let's face it, a lot of us wouldn't be in. You won't lose your salvation. I'm speaking as pastor now. You won't lose your salvation, but I do not believe, though I am certain, that you'll never experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ called to you to in John 10.10. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I am confident that when you sow corn, you're going to get corn. And the only way to get apples is to sow apple seed. And so if there's trouble in your marriage... There will continue to be trouble in your marriage. If there are addictions you can't handle, there will continue to be addictions you can't handle. If there's problems with your children, there will continue to be problems with your children. Because when you sow corn, you're going to get corn. The only way to change that is to change this. That's what will happen. Some of my friends here today, and perhaps... Yeah, we're still on radio.
some of our friends here today, you don't know Jesus. You never made that commitment. Now, I'm not talking about joining church. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not talking about being a good guy. I've got no bad habits. I'm talking about what I mentioned at the very beginning of the message, that commitment to the living Son of God. I mean, think about it just, just for a moment. I am talking about a guy from an obscure part of the Middle East 2,000, 2,100 years later. Why are we doing that? I mean, if he was famous Roman general, we would say that. No one knew this guy. He was from a small village. And yet, 2,100 years later, he is still rocking this world. And I'm going to tell you why. It's real. That's why. And he invites you to be a part of that. Not as a fire escape. Not as, please, Jesus, I need my marriage healed. But as you come in before him saying, I have sinned against holy God. And Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And you died that I could have forgiveness. And I surrender my life to you. To tear the walls down. And to follow you. That's our invitation too. That's our time of commitment today too. For all of us here as believers. To take a hard look and say, okay God, here are the walls. I'll take the first step. I'll do what I can do. But God, I'm counting you to do what only you can do. Some of you, I want Jesus. The altar is open today, and, and I, boy, I invite you to come. If you don't hear, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to have everybody bow their heads and make it really easy for you. Brother Brent's going to be standing out front here. He's a nice guy. I called him my answer guy one time. He knows the answer, and his answer is Jesus. If you'll come down and take my hand and say, I want to know this Jesus. I, I want to know the guy who's still rocking the world today. And we'll take the word of God. And show you what it says about that. Then you can make that commitment if you so desire. To make Jesus Christ the King, the Boss, the Lord of your life. For me it was almost 36 years ago. It's been a great ride. I failed him. He's never failed me. Witness? Yeah, yeah. Bow your heads please right there. Oh Father, what a privilege to teach your word today. What a privilege. I want to pray, Jesus, in your name right now for myself and a whole lot of other people in this room. And we've got walls, God. We've got walls. I've touched on three or four or five throughout the series, but, Father, there could be multiple kinds of walls. And, God, all we can do is cry out for help today. And in crying out, we're taking the first step by trusting and believing you. And then we're going to count on you to do what we cannot do. In fact, to do what only you can do. Whether it be our finances, our marriage, our parenting, or our careers, our time, our schedules. Father, we want to submit to you today. Father, for my friend who's here today. And they don't have a relationship. They, they never have committed to you, Jesus. And they're feeling something right now they have never felt before. They're feeling a pull to come forward and to make you this king. And they don't have a whole lot of information. They're just feeling this pull. And God, I know that's you pulling them and calling them. So my prayer for them, God, is the courage 
to take that first step. And I know you'll take the steps thereafter. To come to Brent. And not to embarrass him, God, you know that. But just so we can give them the answers that they're looking for. Have your way, Jesus. And we pray this in your